America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth where there is actually some pretty good news uh, reported just now by Axios. Apparently, uh, President Biden's inner circle has been discussing delaying the repeal of Title 42 which was a Trump-era policy that allowed the government to deport immigrants from countries with communicable diseases and to block immigrants from entering the country. Now, this doesn't mean blocking people who have applied for immigration status and have applied for visas and followed all the rules and dotted the I's and crossed the T's. What it meant was giving more leeway at a time of pandemic in particular, which, by the way, is not over, or anywhere close to over. And uh, again, the idea that uh, Democrats seem to understand that when it comes to masking policy, yes, the administration is going to be challenging the uh, judge's decision. And it was a young judge who was appointed by President Trump, Republican judge who struck down the masking requirements. And so that's going to be appealed. We're going to be arguing about that. But it's a disaster if Biden follows through and revokes this Title 42 policy on May 23rd. And in fact, several vulnerable Democrats, including the four most vulnerable Democratic U.S. senators who could give the Republicans control of the U.S. Senate, they have all asked Biden publicly, don't do this thing don't create an even greater surge of uh, unauthorized immigrants at the border. That is not a good thing for national security. It's not a good thing for public health. Apparently, uh, they are now saying at the White House they may postpone this policy. That would certainly be good news for the country, and uh, it would uh, be maybe, maybe just good news in thinking about a, uh, a real immigration reform that provides greatly heightened border security, which all Americans, frankly, left, right, center, really should support because nothing is to be gained by um, a, a border that is out of control. If you believe in law and order, that should also believe in some law and order and security at America's border. Now, this is one of uh, three items where there's a piece in the Washington Post that says that uh, all you need to do to understand how deeply the Democrats are in trouble is to look at uh, three very telling statistics. Uh, what are they? Uh, we will get to that. It's a piece by uh, Aaron Blake at the Washington Post. And he says, the week was the one that ended on Saturday, April 16th. And these were the statistics. Ten people shot at random April 12th on New York subway. Then 8.5, as an 8.5%, the annualized rate of inflation for March, the highest since 1981, announced that same day. And then... 210,000, as in 210,000 immigrants arrested at the southern border in March, according to a government court filing April 15th. That is a 20-year high. 
In other words, you have to go back to 2002 and the early years of the Bush administration to see anything comparable in terms of the flow at the border. And this is people who actually have been arrested, so people trying to make an attempt to cross the border. And by the way, I know that there have been some attempts by the Biden administration to say that this just reflects the fact that our border patrol, our, our apprehension of people is far more effective. It probably is more effective, but it still reflects the increasing number of people who are attempting to cross the border into the United States. And everyone assumes on all sides of this issue that if you have 210,000 migrants who are arrested at the southern border in March, that uh, you probably have a comparable number or maybe even a higher number who got through. 1-800-955-1776 uh, is our phone number. Uh, each of these numbers, writes the Post, represented a new peak, symbolic or actual, to a rising voter concern. Violent crime, spiraling prices, and uncontrolled migration. Uh, this is, each one of these numbers connoted governmental failure to meet a core responsibility of any government. Public safety, a stable currency, and border integrity. And according to the rules of democratic politics, the people in power when government fails at its essential tasks, those people lose popularity. It's pretty much that simple. Biden's approval rating is in the low 40 percentage point range. Democrats trail in the generic ballot for Congress and election analyst David Wasserman of the Cook Political Report. The Cook Political Report is nonpartisan officially. It tends to lean Democratic. It predicted, by the way, much bigger win for President Biden than he received. But the Cook Political Report recently noted on a National Journal podcast that the Democratic Party is en route to wipe out territory with the great likelihood of losing both the Senate and the House. The rules of politics are not fair, of course. Neither the Biden administration nor the Democratic-controlled Congress caused crime or caused inflation or caused mass migration, much less desired them, writes the Post. The president and lawmakers share responsibility for these problems with others they do not control, including state and local police, the Federal Reserve, and governments abroad. What's hurting Biden among the crucial margin of persuadable voters, though, is that Republican attacks have a kernel of truth. Washington Post acknowledging it. Policing is a state and local responsibility primarily, yet his party is associated with controversial criminal justice reforms such as eliminating cash bail, which Biden specifically endorsed in 2020, and non-prosecution of misdemeanors, which is a disaster and contributes to the surging crime. Meanwhile, federal measures Biden has advocated, such as cracking down on hard-to-trace ghost guns, imply that his administration does have responsibility for crime control, but can't make much difference in the short run. 
Biden's $1.9 trillion pandemic relief package adapted in March of last year probably fueled inflation by pumping up demand excessively. And according to former Obama administration Treasury official Steve Ratner, will go down in history as an extraordinary policy mistake. And when you talk about people from the Obama administration having complete agreement with Steve Forbes, who we had on yesterday, uh, talking about inflation, its origins, and how to deal with it, then that is a very real problem that clearly needs a fresh approach. So how can the Democrats associate themselves with a fresh approach at the same time that they're dealing with the same gerontocracy, the uh, group of very elderly people led by the President of the United States who will be 82 at the time he runs for re-election. He is widely expected to run for re-election. I'm not so sure. There's a uh, calculation now uh, that tries to analyze the top prospects for the Democratic Party's presidential nomination. Uh, People do not believe, all of them, that President Biden really will run for re-election or that if he really does run, that he would be the front runner. Uh, We will get to that and that analysis of who else the Democrats are going to throw with the public. We'll get to that and more coming up on The Medved Show. Medved show. This apparently is a um, very timely musical offering. Uh, this is from Cypress Hill. The uh, number, which I'm sure is one of your favorites, is called Hits from the Bong. Uh, today is 4.20 Eastern Time. It's uh, 4.20 in the afternoon. Now, 4.20 is a magic number for stoners. Uh I I remember I've heard the explanation of why, and it has to do with some kind of uh, marijuana aspect to the California Penal Code where 420 or number 420 or item 420 was something having to do with the illegalization of marijuana. So today, of course, is celebrated as a uh, day of growing freedom and growing drug, drug use and peace and love. And... This is one of those things that I think actually could be a factor in this election. Despite the fact that all the polling shows and recent elections show that people are willing to vote for uh, more and more removal of restrictions on drug use, uh, more legalization, or at least decriminalization of drugs, there's every reason to believe that drugs play a role not only in the increasing, shockingly rapid growth of deaths in in terms of overdoses, which have reached an all-time high, but also with a surging crime rate. And and the connection is very real, no matter how much you want to say that marijuana is a victimless crime. And uh, the uh, idea of celebrating today, well, this was the 
Cannabis Festival in San Francisco where they will be selling weed legally at the festival for the first time. And uh, they're very proud of the fact everyone will be required to show ID and prove that they are over 21 years of age. This the sound of the Cannabis Festival in San Francisco, clip 19. Food, entertainment, and for the first time, because of um, changes to our local and state laws, there will be on-site uh, cannabis sales at the location. And what that means, to be clear, whether there are sales or not, the fact is, under state law, if you are under the age of 21, you will not be allowed within the facility. Uh, so this is going to be the first time that this is done. You will be turned away. Proof of age is going to be required. Uh, and we will have, you know, um, um, we will have the various city agencies in the area to address some of those challenges. Uh, okay, everything is going to be peace and love, uh, no doubt. Um, look, the the idea that right now this is going to power the Democrats, uh, there is more and more and more about shifts in the election. A headline over at Hot Air, election forecaster, and that's the leading election forecaster in the country, the Cook Political Report, they rate the likely winner in all of the 435 House seats, every single one of which is up for re-election or for election this year, and uh, then the 34 Senate races. And uh, they shifted 11 House races all towards Republicans. And that means including some, uh, when they said safe Democratic was one of their ratings. They have safe Democratic, uh, likely Democratic, uh, toss-up, and uh, then uh, likely Republican, uh, safe Republican, or toss-up. And the toss-ups here are overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly uh, tilting toward Republicans. This uh, uh, actually posted on Twitter by uh, Dave Wasserman, who works for the Cook Political Report. He says, new Cook political house ratings after today's changes, there are now 27 democratically held seats that are in toss-up or worse. In other words, leaning Republican or toss-up. And there are only 12 GOP held seats in toss-up or worse. And this disparity is certain to widen once Florida and New Hampshire complete their redistricting, certainly in Florida where Governor DeSantis has actually been fighting with the legislature and has appeared to have won with his own redistric redistricting plan, which uh, gives the GOP uh, tremendous advantages in Florida. And, and by the way, it's not just Florida. In, in Illinois, that was losing congressional seats, the Illinois legislature, uh, the Democrats, basically knocked out four Republican incumbents. And, uh, okay, but that's made up for by others. We, we really should have a better way of handling redistricting. But redistricting or not, this is trending dramatically uh, toward the Republican side. And one of the things that they, uh, they analyze here based on the Cook analysis is uh, the uh, Kyle uh, Kondik summarizing Cook's analysis says, 
The main question about the House continues to be not whether Republicans will flip its uh, control, although we would not completely shut the door to the Democrats retaining control of the political env environment improves markedly. But rather, the real question is how big the Republicans' eventual majority will be. And yet, as gruesome as the outlook is for Dems, the realities of redistricting and partisan self-sorting sorting across the country over the past decade may limit how many seats the GOP can realistically expect to flip. Condic estimates that they'll end up picking up uh, more than 20 seats. They only need to pick up eight to take control. And uh, they'll pick up more than 20 seats, which will be good enough for a solid Republican House majority, much better than the Democratic House majority now. He says he uh, figures about 235 seats or so. But it'll be nowhere near the 63-seat pickup, the tsunami election. That was the Tea Party election of 2010. Uh, there's just too many deep, deep blue and deep, deep red seats out there at this point for that sort of swing nowadays in theory. But the worse inflation gets, the more the battle space will extend to even safe Democratic districts as a 40-seat pickup, a la the Democrats' blue wave of 2018 still possible. Stay tuned. Okay, with all of this going on, uh, what... What does that mean for 2024? Again, the idea that uh, Biden is a sure thing or a certain nominee for re-election. Look, is it possible that he could turn things around at least somewhat and be a competitive candidate, at least for the Democratic nomination? Sure. But where does he stand on this list of the top Democratic presidential candidates for 2024? And they're ranked. And there's some people on this list you've never heard of who they believe are the uh, most likely people to be nominated for president of the United States. Who are they? We'll get to that and more coming up. Your calls, 1-800-955-1776. We'll be right back. Michael Medved show, uh, Aaron Blake at the uh, Washington Post uh, begins by mentioning a poll that most people completely ignore. He says, in the late February, we were all preoccupied with events elsewhere in the world, so you would be forgiven for having missed even a very interesting poll about U.S. politics. I missed it, and I write about these things for a living, he admitted. So what was a poll from uh, late February? Late February, the poll was from YouGov. And it asked about the 2024 Democratic presidential primary and who you would uh, be planning to vote for. Only 21% of Democratic-leaning voters... Wait, this is 21% of Democratic-leaning voters said their cho choice would be the incumbent Democratic president, Joe Biden. Okay, assuming he would do even worse than that among Republicans, I, I really don't know a lot of Republicans who are enthusiastically supporting Joe Biden for 2024. In fact, 
I don't think I know any Democrats who are enthusiastically supporting Joe Biden for 2024. Now, this one could say, well, yeah, but it depends on who the Republicans nominate. This is a problem with our politics. All of our politics now is who are you against? Who do you hate most? And that's kind of not a healthy thing, which is why I think it's worthwhile uh, taking a look at um, our situation. Aaron Blake writes, this is not normal. We've seen some evidence that Democrats aren't sold on nominating President Biden for a second term, including a poll in November showing a majority of Democrats don't want him to run at all. But lots of Republicans say the same about a repeat run for Donald Trump in 2024, yet he's still the clear frontrunner when you pit him against actual would-be opponents in the party. Democrats need to decide about this, uh, what this means for them, he writes. Uh, certainly there's an argument to be made that the best path forward is to pick a different nominee than the Joe Biden. But if uh, Biden is intent on running again, do you allow a competitive primary that could put the choice in voters' hands and risk damaging the incumbent president the same way Jimmy Carter was damaged by Ted Kennedy in 1980? I mean... Jimmy Carter ended up winning the primaries handily. Ted Kennedy did not get much traction. But uh, do you subtly suggest now to Biden that it might be better to pass the torch and hope that it works? To whom would he pass the torch? He's not going to pass the torch to Kamala Harris, who is a, an increasing embarrassment. I mean, again, it, it, it uh, takes quite a bit to make you long to hear Joe Biden's voice, right? But if you listen long enough, and long enough can often be just two, three minutes to Kamala Harris, you're looking for anything else. You want to change the channel. These very important questions will probably have to wait until after the Democrats see how badly the 2022 elections pan out. But in the meantime, we've seen the kind of jockeying you might expect in such a scenario. Biden hasn't been totally explicit that yes, he will definitely run again, which would seem to give the green light to others prepping for the case that he won't. And uh, so here is the list he has from um, the of the top 10. Now he starts out by saying, there are others who are worth mentioning. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, former governor of Rhode Island. I've said before on this show, I think she would be one of the best possible Democratic candidates, but there's no evidence that she will do it. He also lists a very bad candidate, Phil Murphy, the governor of New Jersey, uh, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, where there is no chance in the world that he will get anywhere near either the presidency or the vice presidency. He mentions Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who, if she wins what's going to be a hot governor's race against a former police chief in Detroit, James Craig, Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir, Stacey Abrams, laugh, laugh, Mitch Landrew, former mayor of New Orleans, and Congressman Ro Khanna of California, who again has to be the, the longest of long shots. None of these folks is going to make the finals. Okay, so here is top 10. Uh, at the bottom of the list of top 10, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And you might say, wait, wait, she's not old enough yet to run for president. That's true. She's only 32. But she will turn 33 this year, and she would be uh, 
end up being 35, which is what's required, just in time to be inaugurated president. Is she likely to be inaugurated president? Okay, what the Washington Post here points out, and I think they're right, is that uh, the, the right path for her, if she wanted that, would be to run for the U.S. Senate. And this year she had a chance to run, and a lot of people wanted her to run, in a primary against Chuck Schumer. She said, no, I'll pass on that. She's running for re-election. But she would have a good shot running against Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, who is not popular in New York, and that would be in 2024. But that would mean no race for president. A race for U.S. Senate, which is probably a job she'd enjoy more than than president of the United States. And uh, she not only has lots and lots of enemies among moderates and conservatives, she has plenty of enemies in the Democratic Party. I, I think she goes nowhere. Gavin Newsom is number nine, governor of California. Some California political watchers have noticed the governor seeming to weigh in more in recent national political debates. Quote, it's painfully obvious Newsom wants to run for president one day. Exactly how that would go down is less obvious. Newsom notched a big victory in a much-watched recall vote last year. But how he'd wear on voters outside the Golden State is a big question. Uh, look, the one thing he has going for him is he's almost sure to win re-election in uh, the uh, 2022, coming up in November, I, I don't even know who's running against him, and it's such a heavily Democratic state. So the one thing you could say is on a night when a lot of Democrats are going to be hurting, uh, where there's an expected Republican wave, he'll be standing out because he's successful. Uh, Cory Booker, number eight, senator from New Jersey, was one of the most prominent faces in the Democrats' efforts to confirm Katanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court. And I think he did do a, uh, a job that helped him in that capacity. He was very emotional. He seemed very human. He was a lot better than he was when he, as a candidate when he ran before, and he basically flamed out. So if there is a new Cory Booker, who knows? Sherrod Brown, the uh, senator from Ohio. And the one thing is, despite the fact that Sherrod Brown is a son of a doctor and he's a Yaley, and uh, he claims to have blue-collar credibility. I don't know why, but Democrats have been in love with him. A lot of people wanted him to uh, be the left-wing candidate, not Bernie Sanders. And there's thinking now that uh, Sherrod Brown in Ohio, particularly if the Democrats win the Senate seat in Ohio, which is possible given all of the fighting back and forth on the Republican Party side in that state, if Sherrod Brown wins that Senate seat, he um, he might be a factor. The one big wrinkle they point out in the Washington Post, he's up for re-election in 2024, and uh, he might uh, be able to just fall back on seeking re-election, even in uh, red-trending Ohio. Uh, Roy Cooper, former governor of North Carolina, really, who nobody has heard of. He, uh, he is maybe the one leading his Andrew you hear the least about. Okay, so we still have the top five. Who's number one? Who do they think is the most likely Democratic nominee for President of the United States? Hint, it's not Kamala Harris. She's not number two either. 
uh, who is. We'll get to that and more coming up. So here's the deal. Michael Medved. I'm, you know, and, and what it also, and, and so the deal is, sorry, and here's the deal. The deal, is, I'm like, I've got so much going on in my mind. The Michael Medved Show. And the Democrats, uh, I think, would prefer right now, given all of the polling and all of the prognostication, not to think about 2022. So let's take a look at 2024. Do they have some hot ticket that can actually help them recapture the imagination of the Democratic Party or of young people in particular, where young people have been the main desertions from the Biden cause? And he is particularly unpopular, particularly for a Democratic candidate, because generally young people have trended Democratic for a variety of reasons. But not all the college loan forgiveness in the world is going to repair Joe Biden's standing with young people. And then there's this about one of their pet issues and their failure to address it. Uh, Bloomberg has a piece that says uh, drugs are fueling urban crime. Will Democrats pay attention? Uh, liberal U.S. cities are paying a high price for harm reduction policies that normalize addiction. A nationwide surge in crime has emerged as one of the Democrats' greatest political vulnerabilities. Anyone doubt that? Heading into this year's midterm elections. They're scrambling to respond, abandoning calls to defund the police and pledging to push for public safety and to amend controversial bail reform laws. Such efforts may not be enough. So far, most Democrats show no signs of addressing one of the most robustly documented and worsening contributors to crime, drugs and alcohol. No attempt to reduce crime can succeed without addressing the substantial effect of both of these on a wide uh, range of socially harmful behavior. Well, it's true, and that brings us back to the uh, the list of Democrats who uh, are are running for public office. Now, this is not to say that these are Democrats who have drug and alcohol problems personally, but the party has a problem. And Roy Cooper, they say in the Washington Post, he's number six on their list of likely Democrats to run for president and to win the nomination. He might be the one leading contender you hear the least about. That's partially due to being a governor, but partially it's just Cooper's soft-spoken style. It's a just-win-baby type of election, and Democrats want a Biden-style candidate, though not Biden himself. The North Carolina governor checks lots of boxes. He's also, like a Sherrod Brown, a repeat winner in a tough state that Democrats would love to put on the map. Uh, North Carolina, of course, voted for President Trump twice. And uh, uh, Roy Cooper, governor of Carolina, it seems hard to imagine him winning Democratic primaries and caucuses. And then you get into serious candidates, it seems to me. Amy Klobuchar, the senator from Minnesota, would uh, seem to benefit from a Biden-free race, just like some of those others would benefit from a Sanders-free race. Elizabeth Warren, where she, I don't even know why he has her down here. She's already said she's running for re-election, 
and she's up for re-election in the uh, U.S. Senate in 2024. Uh, the fact is, you cannot run. You might be able to get away with running as vice president, running at the same time to hold your Senate seat. Joe Lieberman did that in 2000. But you cannot pursue the presidential nomination and simultaneously pursue holding your Senate seat. She says she wants to keep her Senate seat for Massachusetts. She'll do less damage that way than she would as president. So then the top three, Kamala Harris. Aaron Blake says we're dropping Harris down a slot this time. Being vice president is certainly a good launch pad, but it's not at all clear that uh, Harris has put it to good use. Yeah, if this is a launch pad, that launch has crashed and burned. Her numbers are similar to Biden's, and she's done little to change the perceptions that harmed her 2020 campaign, including her inability to drive a message. And there's no way he should run against Biden if he does run. No, 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 no. While others might have seen wiggle room on that. And then number two... Uh, likeliest candidate, he says, is Pete Buttigieg. And this is truly bizarre. He is a gifted communicator. I uh, Seems like a very nice gentleman. He, of course, would be the first uh, openly gay candidate for president of the United States. Well, he already was. He was running for president last time. And he did awfully well, both in uh, New Hampshire and in, in Iowa. But... Uh, uh, they say to the extent people don't want Biden or Harris, he's next in line just in terms of sheer plausibility. So he's ranked second. And then Joe Biden, having said all of the above things that are uh, things, uh, having said all of the above, things are often darkest for a president in a midterm election year. And Biden has both a pandemic and inflation to contend with, not to mention a war in Ukraine. If those factors wane in the coming months and after the 22 midterms, the picture might be significantly different. If the Republicans win some control of Congress, as appears likely, it could even help Biden politically because he'll have something to run against, even apart from Donald Trump. But mostly we just wonder whether we'll see him try to become the first ever octogenarian uh, presidential nominee at age 82. Yeah, I think that's unlikely. And we'll talk to Aaron Blake uh, tomorrow about this because he's also done a listing of the likeliest uh, Republican candidates for president. And in order, he, uh, he says the top nominee is Trump. Second possibility, Ron DeSantis. Third possibility, Mike Pence. And then fourth, Nikki Haley. And on from there. Is, is this really legit? And why does he put on as a mention uh, people with no chance, like Ro Khanna, congressman from California? We'll talk about that with Aaron Blake of the Washington Post uh, tomorrow. Uh, meanwhile, there is more on uh, what is going on here, uh, uh, particularly with Biden and Biden losing the youth vote, which he counted on when he actually won the election last time. Uh, this is uh, CBS on Biden's problems with uh, attracting the votes of young people. Uh, listen. 
Concern over Democrats now as President Biden's approval rating keeps falling lower. Now it's even tanking with younger voters who historically are critical to the party. Biden's approval among so-called Gen Z voters is typically described as people of voting age who were born after 1996, plunging from 60% at the start of last year to now 39% in a Gallup poll. That's a 21-point drop. Among millennials, uh, approval is falling from 60% last year to 41%, uh, and the decline was largest among younger adults uh, than older ones. Let's bring in... Okay, this is uh, very serious because, uh, first of all, it's not just young people. There is a dramatic shift, according to all the polling in Latino voters. And what a great deal of this has to do with is the uh, idea that the Democratic Party has taken on so many woke elements, has taken on so many culture war elements. I know that the conventional wisdom, which is entirely wrong on this, blames Republicans for renewing the culture wars. Republicans are just responding. I mean, it is not Republicans who are behind the fact that uh, we now have all kinds of men competing as women in sports. There was an interesting point Jeremy Steiner, Pride of Hillsdale College, made to me that I think is, bears worth repeating. Boston Marathon, uh, how did uh, women do? And I ask that because women compete with men in the Boston Marathon. And uh, they've never, ever, ever had a, a female winner or uh, someone in the top tier of contestants in the Boston Marathon with literally thousands of people from all over the world competing. Women don't compete with men in that race. Now, what would happen if somebody said, oh, well, I'm going to compete as a woman? and uh, was actually a man or a former man or somebody who had just uh, redefined his sexual identity or her sexual identity, it wouldn't matter because men and women compete against each other. But would that be fair to go ahead and, and make all of uh, athletics co-ed? If they did that, I don't think anyone would have the right to object to uh, men competing with other men and competing with people who describe themselves as women and men who weren't born that way. But this kind of issue that, yes, is an issue in this election, is not an issue that was started by Republicans. This was initiated by the left. And what's it going to do for them? We'll get to that and to the latest hero of the left, a Michigan state senator who gave a fiery speech, that and more in this greatest nation on God's green earth. 